This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Well, may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor General. You know I've searched my heart to prove there's better ways to push and pull. Hey, whatever gets you through these days. Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 103 for Tuesday, 3rd of September, 2019. I'm Jeremy Sear and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to the country, what's likely to happen and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is a new guest host, Eliza Balage. Good afternoon. Welcome. Good day, I should say. We had a whole pile of depressing sort of nonsense stories from the last fortnight or so, which we may touch on at the end, but I think we should probably deal with the two big issues this week, which are the extent to which Australia wants to screw innocent refugee families. And the extent, Father's Day. Yeah, and the extent to which Australia wants to screw, well, not just LGBTI people, but pretty much anyone who Lyle Shelton doesn't like. As in the best Australians. Oh, yes. Wonderful Australians. Well, anyone Lyle Shelton doesn't like it. Like that, I mean, that's a mark. Literally of, wonderful Australians. Yeah. As opposed to possibly shit-eating Australians. So, Eliza, you've been following what's been happening to the poor family originally from Bilola, well, originally from Sri Lanka, but then from Bilola and then stuck in miserable conditions in Melbourne for the last, what, year and a half? Year and a half, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to the point where it's you know, seriously damaged the two-year-old's teeth. Because apparently whilst we're holding children, we don't feel that it's you know, incumbent upon us to treat them with any kind of basic humanity. Yeah, including uh, access to sunlight, uh, appropriate things to play with. And I dare do even ask about what sort of education and early sort of, yeah, early childhood education they're having access to if they're not even having access to the basic human necessities. Like that hierarchy of needs is definitely not being met. And, you know, so Priya... The mother. Priya, the mother, was on a bridging visa, which I believe expired. Uh, and so since that time, they had been held in that Melbourne detention centre. Their children were born here. Yeah. And um, they... Dutton says, well, we always told them that they weren't going to get to stay whilst they built a life fleeing you know, the civil war in Sri Lanka. We always wanted to... Like, is this the whole And madness? they had all the goes, as people have said. Like, you know, I hate that term, but... Yes, they, they fled violence, um, they've come to Australia and they've done all the things people are told to do, whether they're citizens or non-citizens of going to a rural, rural Australian town um, of Bilola, it's in Queensland, and they have sought work that people don't want to do nowadays. The father has been working in an abattoir, which is a story that we see coming up. Um, I think recently there was a story, I think, in the AFR, The Australian, about Australians turning down work in the abattoir. They could be making good money, but they don't want to do it because it's hard work. It is hard, dangerous and disgusting work, but necessary. And the people that do that work, obviously it's necessary because a lot of people in Australia like to eat meat and we have a good meat export market. But here is Nardis uh, employed in that in the town. Apparently they were beloved by this Queensland town. You know, say what you will about Queenslanders, but yeah. It's madness that that it's... they've. In order to have even any kind of attention to their plight, they've got to have, like, ingratiated themselves with the local community. Like, we, 
It shouldn't even be down to that. It should just be down to the basic human needs of the people involved, not whether or not they've pleased their local community. But they have, and they even have that's not enough. They've the boxes. They've ticked the employment boxes, the character reference boxes. You know, they're doing everything they possibly could have done, but it's not enough. And now because Dutton they're told them from, they told them from the very beginning that they weren't going to get to stay. This is what's wrong with temporary protection visas, to begin with. Like the idea that somebody flees, they're building a life like in the country where they've fled to and we've always got it hanging over their heads that as soon as we think not not whether the, it's safe there but as soon as we arbitrarily decide it's safe in Sri Lanka ignore the fact that you know there's just been some bombings there and we've and there's there's it's seriously still an unsafe place for many people as soon as the Australian government arbitrarily decides that the war's over there and everybody's safe we'll just kick you out like you're in limbo the whole this whole thing that like labor has signed off on TPVs now but you remember the time when when they were rightly viewed as the mad cruelty that they are oh. this is the example of why absolutely it's absolutely and so they were temporarily held in Melbourne for I felt very temporary because as you said it was over a year and a half at which time especially the youngest child's uh, physical health deteriorated immensely. You were talking about the rotting teeth. Yeah. Uh, let alone, I imagine the mental health of the whole family being in this complete limbo, being cut off from that community, being cut off from work, being cut off from any support. Uh, then there was this overnight uh, thing where they got moved. They were meant to be sent to Sri Lanka. Luckily, some lawyers did a big injunction. They were stopped in Darwin temporarily. But again, in the cover of darkness, they were whisked away to Christmas Island. Yeah, well, to be fair, we, we spent a huge amount of money, hundreds of millions of dollars on that facility. And so far, the only people who we've sent there are this small family that have been like living in the Australian community quite comfortably for a long time. But, you know, it was totally worth the, what, 50, 60 million dollars for each of them to brutalise them in this way. Oh, completely so. That's right. Nothing, nobody apparently has been housed there in this facility except for people who, for all intents and purposes, have been Australians for the last few years. No, Scamo tested the cages when he went over there, again, at vast expense of the Australian taxpayer. Yes, possibly one of the most expensive parts of the whole exercise. Yeah, it was $38 million. I've just got a vague memory. It was some some stupid cost. Special charted flights, etc. Madness. Um, Anyway, so he's checked out the cages that we're now throwing this, this family in, and also that we can chuck them back to a country which is clearly not safe on the grounds that they were unable to persuade a government that had decided, well, it's perfectly safe in Sri Lanka, and the government exercised... Because part of the problem is that the system that we've now... put Remember back in in the day when when Howard was trying to squash the refugees, and and the problem was that they were people, when they were being tested fairly, were coming through, like, the vast majority of people who were prepared to do that, to get on a boat to come here, are genuine refugees. Um, and that was what was being found. So they've kept changing the system so that now we've got a system where the courts find that genuine refugees are not genuine refugees. It's not that they're suddenly stopping refugees. It's just that we've changed the system that assesses them and the High Court has failed to overturn it. So yes, we're and the High Court this... that we currently do have really do assess things on a black and white thing. You just look at the Section 44 cases as well oh. uh, and, you know, there's been some very interesting examples. They are very black and white in the way they rule. So, uh, yeah, if you well, can change just... the goalposts, then... That's it. We'll get to the freedom of speech stuff and the fact that they've just basically established that that, um, Australian citizens don't have a a personal Mm. um, right to free political communication. Um, And so we have public servants basically... They're not apolitical. Like, public servants are... We regularly see in Senate estimates all of these extraordinarily pro-government advocating public servants. And, in fact, the Michaela Banerjee case, she was arguing with Sandy Logan, the, the Secretary of the Department... But anyway, he's regularly out there arguing quite politically for a particular point of view. Mm. 
but she's not allowed to have express a point of view anonymously, but he's allowed to qu- quite overtly politicise the public service and the government's politicised the public service and the whole fiction that, that means that's supposed to justify why we had to squash their free speech as individuals, it's a fiction. They're not apolitical in the first place. And if you're going to go further, you can look at just the cases of Pizzullo even praising yeah. the AFP over their handling of the raids. Yes. Yeah, no, that, that, their department, like, setting these... Filthy... That's unnecessary for him to be making those comments. Yeah. You know, that's... They, they, are politi- they are so political, but it's just as long as you're political in support of the government, like, their new definition of the, the APS not being political is not being pl- not daring to call out the government. Not being contra-political, maybe. Contra to their politics. Which is not the idea of the apolitical politics. Anyway, back to this yes. family. So, yeah, no, Dutton's like, well, we always said that they were going to, they were never going to stay. I'm sure you did, which was a dickish thing to do. It doesn't make it right. Mm. And then, then they've leaked to the papers this morning that there was a boat. Or, sorry, what, what was the front page of the Australian? Yes. Boat surge. Sri Lankan boat surge. I wish I could do a media watch voice. Sixth asylum bid halted. Now, just have a think, though. So this is the paper of the Australian Today. But when did this Sri Lankan boat come? 7th of August, a month exactly. ago. Exactly, a month ago. Yeah, it's, it's almost like suddenly when there's some pressure to do something to protect this family that we're trying to, that the government's trying to send back to Sri Lanka, suddenly they're like, remember the boats? Remember how much you don't like boats? Don't be too compassionate about these human beings. Look, a Let scary us, boat. On what it matters, we must not comment on. But if the public's way of opinion might be starting to be in favour of these people... Boat! Boat! Are concerned. Yes. Now imagine, this is the prime example of why, you know, we don't, we no longer have media that call this government to account. Um, And it's certainly not the ABC and SBS who have been kicked in the face so many times over the last 25 years that they, they almost run the government's lines for them because they're so scared of being um, condemned or further hurt by people who hate them and would like to see them gone anyway. It's like, it's, Unbelievably, it's like victims of, of violence. Like they are, they are yeah. a beaten animal. Unfortunately, yeah, that's that's an issue. Is that um, no matter how sort of non nonpartisan or involved um, public service broadcasters want to be, um, and this is not saying that they're they're partisan, but um, well, they are we now. Know but that... they're partisan the other way. Like they've they, they were rigid, they were never partisan in the first place. But any time they were neutral on something, the the libs kicked them hard and claimed that they were lefty because just compared with Murdoch, they were lefty. Well, that's it because the coalition, as we know, are the right wing party compared to the left, supposedly and historically. But there has been media analysis that has found, um, and I think it was like one or two years ago that. If you really did analyse the type of reportage uh, and commentating that was coming out of the ABC, it did lean to the right, which Hell is yeah. the opposite of what people like to think of as their their lefty ABC. It's not correct, you know. And most of the time they are down the line, but there is a lean. Yeah, because they te- they desperately want to placate the people who hate their guts and think that if they mention something that they don't that the right doesn't like, then they're lefty extremists and should be shut down. Like. Anyway, and here is the example today, back on the boats. Mm. Um, do you think that at any kind of press conference involving uh, the minister, now that they've announced this boat, anyone's called out and said, hang on, you said the boats had stopped. How many other boats have arrived in the last three years? Mm. Give us a list of the boats. <laughs> you can't claim they're on water matters if you've just released the boats. Tell us what the boats are. Nobody will have called them on this. Nobody will have started. And if they did, the minister would have been able to say, 
oh, we'll get back to you all, or those are on board. They would, and they would have not got a follow-up. They never get the follow-up. They never get to hold their feet to the fire. Well, apparently the Prime Minister in a press conference today said he couldn't understand why the public might be cynical about this front page that we're mentioning now, about the Sri Lanka boat oh, really? showing up at the same time. Well, like a month earlier, actually, but being, being publicised today. Mm. He could just can't understand why people would be cynical about the timing. Why, why is it that no matter how many times I lie to people and, and run cynical bullshit, why are they cynical of my motives and behaviour? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> God, it's almost sh- like there's a quite a deep public distrust of politicians <laughs> that maybe multiple surveys have found. Well, it might, might also thought. be that this Just particular politician and this, this particular mob are the, the more egregiously shameless about it than... Well, I mean, it's the big lie. It's like Dutton comes out and he's like, um, the refugee a- activists are, are, are lying about our treatment of them. Like, his whole approach to all of this is lies. Like, the fundamental lie. He, he's, he, in, this, um, in his speeches today, he's been talking about how there's 68 million people who want to come here. And we've got to, got to hold the line, otherwise they're going to come here. 68 million, the people, world's refugees do not want to come to Australia, have never wanted to come to Australia. They don't try to come to Australia. The vast majority of people, like Australia's the other side of the planet for most of these places. Mm-hmm. It requires great motivation and resources and it's difficult. Like, it's only a tiny percentage of the world's refugees who ever try and come here in the first place and have ever tried to come here. Like, long before mandatory detention in the 90s. It's not like the world's refugees all came to Australia. No. Like, we have had... They just usually re- want to go somewhere as well. Sometimes we've, we've had, they don't have the choice. We have had refugee waves at various points. Um, we had China in the like the 19th century. We had um, Greeks and Italians after the Second World War. We've had Vietnamese people after the um, the war in Vietnam. But we haven't. They they didn't destroy a country. Like we weren't we weren't. It's not like the numbers that came were so much that they overtook. Australia, like, yes, admittedly, there have been situations in the past where a small number of people have come and taken over the country. But after those original 11 ships in 1788, that hasn't <laughs> happened. Like, all the other groups that have come here have come in and formed, joined and the community. Right. And any disaffection that has happened from those ways is usually due to a lack of, of infrastructure and resources to help people settle in a country. Yeah. Um, that's what usually happens, you know. Any, you know, when the media whips up a frenzy or the government whips up frenzies about these gangs of whether they're Vietnamese or African people, um, which of course, you know, there's many different countries in Africa, many people. Um, it is to do with a lack of resources and infrastructure, and community leaders have spoken about that. That's where the issue is coming from. It's not that these people are inherently bad because of their race or ethnicity. No, no, vast amount of crime here is committed by um, vast amount of gang activity here is European gangs. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. European gangs of all different types. You know, that's just one continent. We just go European gangs everywhere. Well, speaking of European gangs, my my very own grandmother, God rest her soul, was a boat person. She did come here on here in the it must be in the fifties or so from um, from Russia, but she came from China. Okay. So they were white Russians. And they were living in one of the um, white Russian outposts in China. Of course, the Chinese um, the Cultural Revolution happened, and that was it. That was on the boat again. Um, and she could go to Canada or Australia. Uh, she was too sick when the boat for Canada came, so Australia it was. So you know those European gangs. They've you know resulted in me being born. So it's quite an issue, really. <laughs> you can't have them here. But I mean, so many Australians have these stories. Um, of you know whether they are themselves a refugee 
or their family being a refugee. And, you know, as we know, often migrants um, and refugees uh, ha- contribute extraordinary amounts to the economy. They're often fantastic sure, Immigration is a massive benefit. And a lot of the, the people that we're talking about, as you were mentioning, Jeremy, that it is so hard to... to to flee a country and usually often the people that do it are people with really good networks and often like quite a lot of social cultural capital and fiscal economic capital the people that come you know people will talk about oh how come these refugees wearing gucci jeans or holding phones it's because they're not poor the people who are getting on those boats usually have money and that's how they can escape the people that do well, not they have had money, money and they've lost it correct the people who do not have money are either being killed or they are in detention camps much closer to where they're trying to seek persecution, or well, they're still in the country seeking refuge. But, but that's the line. Like yeah. these are the these are the um, queue jumping rich refugees, and we shouldn't care about them. Except that anyway. they're not rich compared with us. Like they're still, yeah, they're they're still not. For us to be like, oh, they're so wealthy with with they've got genes. Like Australia, <laughs> white Australians to be saying that is just. Ooh. But all of the things that Australians are terrified about. In, from immigration and like the fertile ground that the right builds on that I think we on the left need to do a lot better in mm. calling out on um, it's the idea that um, immigrants like they don't they, they, the rhetoric has been that these are not refugees they're immigrants and immigrants are bad because they're going to undercut your wages and also sit on welfare somehow they'll do both simultaneously but anyway <laughs> they'll do one or the other and it's, it's bad either skillful. way they, they'll do both one you know not the same person they'll 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 both sit on welfare and do jobs under the... They just multiply. Yeah. Now, from the left point of view, um, there are obvious solutions to both of those things. Uh, one, first of all, people don't... Uh, people aren't going to sit on New Start indefinitely because it's, it's miserable. Um, and, and there's... I have a lot of stuff that I was going to play this week about the monstrous way that we treat the poor in Australia. Um, we don't need to do that. But in any case, it's so far below the poverty line. It could be at subsistence and people are still going to be incentivised to try and do better. Um, because if you're in a country where there's opportunities to do better, then you want to do better. Yeah. Like, that's genuinely a thing. And the people who don't, uh, they still spend the money here. They still are part of the economy. They still c- contribute in that way. Mm. But in terms of, of undercutting wages and conditions, no, no, they undercut wages and conditions when they're in other countries where those wages and conditions don't apply. Mm. You bring them here, the only way that they're undercutting wages and conditions is when employers get away with exploiting them. So the solution to that is stronger um, workplace protections for workers. And that would also protect the rest of us. Like... The solution to that isn't nobody can come here. You all stay overseas and, and the companies move overseas and, and do all manufacturing overseas. That's not the solution that protects our living standards. The, the solution that protects living standards is have people here doing the work here with genuine protections so that employers can't exploit them. I don't know. That seems pretty radical. <laughs> it seems to me like a line that the left should be able to argue to the working class who are easily scared about foreigners coming and taking their jobs yeah and they keep going partnership i mean we did have the passage of the modern slavery bill um which is again really important um in terms of addressing things like that so there's there is the appetite that was a i believe a bipartisan or you know multiple parties worked on that including coalition members um to bring that bill to fruition so you know there is the appetite for businesses to be addressing these concerns yeah but the people who are who want to use um, immigrant labor and exploit it those people will only be stopped from doing it by strict workplace laws with you know dobbing lines so they can't just get away with it and mm. uh, basically protection so and and that doesn't just protect um the workers it protects every worker and in the same way as as having new start so low 
actually pulls down wages and conditions. So none of this is like, you should be angry with the people on Newstart or you should be angry with the immigrants. Your wages being low is because of the shitty conditions that we have for them. If you supported decent conditions for them, it pushes your wages and conditions up as well. Mm-hmm. And it's not like your taxes, if you're a you know, working class person close to the line, are the ones that are being... like You're, you're paying a small percent, percentage of the taxes, or you should be. Mm. Um, it should be the people at the top who are getting away with exploiting this. But anyway, we've gone way off. But one of the things our taxes are going through to, just still talking on this case, is... Offshore hell caps? Yes. Very expensive offshore hell caps. And uh, just the, yes, the help, the camps, and also the amount to deport people. I believe um, that thousands of dollars are spent on some of these um, chartered flights to do just like what happened with deporting that family. Oh, what have cost us millions. Yeah. We, we've, but that is... And I feel like that's a thing that the left needs to call out because mm. there's a fundamental part of human nature. And maybe it's not just conservative-minded people. Maybe it's just human nature in, in general mm. where people resent the idea of someone undeserving getting something mm. and they would prefer to spend a lot more than they're losing to stop that undeserving person. So you, we all have people who are perfectly happy with the government spending $100 to claw back $10 from someone on Newstart that they that, that person shouldn't have had for some reason. Mm. Now, that makes no sense. Like, it's it's like this deeply rooted sense of fairness I get that people think that, that it's unfair for somebody to get something and they are happy to hurt themselves in order to hurt that person and make it stop happening. Yeah. And, and it's so... If you have your eyes open to it and you look at it, like there's got to be part of you that goes, oh, yeah, that is a bit stupid, actually. I'm literally better off if I don't spend that $100 and that person gets that $10. Like it, right. I'm better off, they're better off, everyone's better off. It literally makes no sense for me to be, be supporting this. And I supported it when it was thrown to me because I had this sort of deep residual rage at the idea of somebody getting something. Mm. But now that you've pointed out to me that actually it's costing me a lot more and I'm not getting any benefit from it. Nobody's getting any benefit from it. Like, I mean, how much benefit do I really get from feeling this, a bit of schadenfreude that somebody else gets to suffer? Like, Anger is a powerful emotion, but it's quite a toxic one. Yeah, I feel like I feel like if the left were better at calling out and showing that mm. shit. So, so in the case of refugees, it's a huge thing. Or like, say for the sake of argument that this was an incredibly lazy refugee. Mm. Unlike vast majority of refugees that clearly go into the community and try to build a life, but say this one was just like, nah, I got here now. I'm just going to sit on Centrelink. Yeah. And say Newstart was increased to the poverty line. So say it's not even just Newstart, as mm. it is now, $40 a day. Say it was Newstart at... It was a at, living amount of money yeah. that you could live on yep. and not starve on. Say wow. they did that. How much is that going to cost the taxpayer over 30 years compared with the amount of money that we're spending trying to drive that person away? Does it make any sense to do that then? No. Because the other factor that... Contributes that is to that as well is that that person is now even more contributing to the to contributing to the economy because as we know people on the lowest lowest incomes whether that's mm. you know absolute minimum below minimum wage minimum wage or just above they are putting basically everything they earn back into the economy. Well, the right wing person would say they're not earning it; it's my money in the first place. So you might as well just give it straight straight back to the economy somehow. But that's the most efficient way to spread it constructively in the economy anyway even if there wasn't a human being there like just that a a, a spending unit that simply sits yeah. there spending money and wasn't a person well spending unit is the working class some could argue <laughs> i guess i guess their argument would be well we we're, we're terrified that it won't just be that one person that although it's vastly more per person um to put them on the remote islands uh if we were kind 
they'd all come. It'd be the well, the ants and the sugar is their insulting metaphor for it. Mm. Except that we didn't used to do this, and they still we still weren't swamped with people trying to sit here on Newstart. Like mm. um, human beings generally, like they've got this whole thing. Like the, the, people want to work. People, you know, the dignity they want the dignity of a job. That's probably true. As long as like people want to do something meaningful. Mm. People don't cross the world to sit on a subsistence payment in a in a comfortable country in a in a country with opportunities. People don't cross the world to sit there on a subsistence payment. Mm. Like, just isn't a real. That's not a real. You can't find me a person who's done that. Yeah. Just like you can't find you know with the abortion debate in New South Wales, find me someone who's got to like, you know, eight months and three weeks and gone. Nah. Yeah. Nah. I bought it. Like that's it. What? No more. Oh, and yeah. by the and they, they're still. Yeah. I noted that they. Um, while while we were just sort of on tangent, we, were, we probably should do the segue to the, the religious discrimination mm. bill in a sec. Um, except I do need to point out the other yes. thing that Dunton was saying. But um, they did have the the fundamentalists at the ACL had their not ashamed conference the other day, um, and they uploaded the that that horrible liar um, Martin Ellis as start mm. talk, and he was doing the thing about um, in Victoria was it three what's their figure it's like three hundred and four babies over a period from you know, like. It's like over a seven-year period or something. Mm-hmm. Were left to die, left to die on the operating table, just left, because under the under the abortion laws, like there's nothing protecting a baby that's born alive from just being killed by the neglect of doctors. I mean, I'm fairly because, and they're like in the New South Wales one, a, a, an amendment to add that to the bill was was voted down, like. As if, like, murder isn't already a crime that's, like, <laughs> clearly well-established. And if there's a human being that's alive and you kill it, that's murder. That's murder. Like, where, where you anti-abortionists can't distinguish between a human being and a fetus and you think they're all the same thing, the law is very clear on what's a human being. They've been born. And if a baby was born and then killed through neglect, that's murder. Like, that's that, yeah. that, you can't just do that. These, you know, there is that on on the spectrum of these anti-abortionists. There are those anti-abortionists who go into abortion, and by abortion clinic, I mean family planning clinics, because they offer a range of services and shoot up all the people in the clinic. This happens. Yes, it has it does. happened. So the right to life. Yeah, no, it's it's for it's it's, it's the right <laughs> to control women's bodies. Is yes. it? But the, the 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 lie there is that if you look at what the numbers based on, um, and it's. It's this chunky interpretation of some of the Victorian health data, and it's it doesn't break down any more than that. It's um, where there's been where, where there's been a complication at the end of a pregnancy, and mm. and it's been born alive and then died. Yeah, it's mixed in. So they they're like those are abortions that have gone so they're wrong. They're just assuming that that data fits yeah. into their so idea of these just babies that people have just decided after they're born they don't want anymore. Yeah, it's but it's not. It's probably a health complication. Yeah, that's in, that's almost entirely what they are. Yeah. Like, and they're just pretending that it's abor- It's just abortions that are at the last second because people choose to do that. By if somebody's aborting at the very end, that means that something's gone horribly wrong with the, the fetus at all in yeah. the first place. Like, nobody's doing that at the end yeah. unless... The idea that they're just killing a... a, a like, a, a fetus that was about to be a baby and they've just murdered it and left it dying in, in agony. Yeah. It's a lie. It's bullshit. It's not. Just, it's not backed up by the evidence. And also, let alone the fact that it's murder, but also the fact that doctors are, you know, by their their Hippocratic oath, trying to sa- always save lives. So I imagine in some of these cases, maybe the woman is severely bleeding to death, and they're trying to save both of them. You know, 
you know, who knows? I've not been in these situations. But And, and they don't have that data either. And yeah, they, they're, exactly. they're shamelessly misrepresenting it. Um, but talking about people uh, having their discretion over how they um, present information. So Morrison, again, just going back to that head, uh, f- to that front page story was his defence about the uh, interesting con- co- coincidence was that the government releases information as it believes it's important to do so. <laughs> in, as in, in their political interests. <laughs> yes, yeah, so he did literally say that. Even did anybody he, ask him? Did, he, yeah, God, I wish we had some that have have in the past that we have in the past and I think that keeps the issues of the ever present threat of illegal rivals to Australia foremost in the public mind. Right, so why do you cover it up at other times? It's a really good question. Did anybody ask him? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't have the transcript yet. I'm willing to bet the answer is no. But I'm sure I could find out, which would be fun. There's some homework. Um, But, yeah, look, I mean, thousands of Australians around the country were protesting, you know, the public sentiment is there. But Morrison has said that he doesn't really... Well, he thinks that it'll open, it'll encourage them if, if they're compassionate. If they, if they, they're... it's not about the public mood. Oh, okay. I mean... Literally, it's not about the public mood. Well, they've won the election now, so it's not, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they've got another two and a half, three. How can they get away here. with this? Like, he's got that stupid trophy on his table saying, "I stopped these," with a picture of a boat. Like, you remember that trophy he made for himself? Yeah. Well, I mean, if he, I mean, if it was close to the election and he made statements like that, he would have a, a perhaps a trophy of votes and be like, "I stop these." So, but he's quite far away from the election, so I guess he doesn't have to worry too much about stopping the votes. And, and Labor, the Labor votes. has temporarily found a, a brief moment of, oh, we can be seem to be compassionate on this, whilst you know the fact that we are entirely responsible for the situation, including the fact that the children born here aren't automatically citizens. That was Labor that passed that legislation in 1986. Mm-hmm. And Labor's like, oh, shit, we need to differentiate ourselves from the coalition, but with not in a way that's going to come back to bite us like by actually standing for something. Even So even though we voted for every part of this, oh, no, you could just be... Why don't you exercise your discretion in this case that's the popular one? Mm. You know, we stand up for... The popular one. And we're not saying we should change the law so it applies generally to people, to other human beings in similar circumstances. But we do want to stand up for the popular family. Labor are very interested in the public mood. It's just shameless. I I just cannot fathom that they can get away with... In in fact, Dutton was, in terms of the the boat arrival thing, like he specifically comes out and says... Um, and I don't have, I haven't got the quote in front of me, but basically he was saying that this is the way that they, they, they need to do this in order to stop boat arrivals. And that's always the fudge, isn't it? They, they're like, we've stopped the boats, and then they, it becomes apparent that boats are still coming. But when they're talking about it, we stopped the boats, and that's why we've saved, we did to attack the Greens for the 1,200 lives that you cost. Oh, fuck you. First of all, the Greens want them being, getting here safely. And secondly, you don't keep any track of what happens to the people you send back mm-hmm. to die, the people you drag back out to sea, the people who would have fled danger but are bullied into staying away by your policies. Um, and also, you don't pay... Also, the people who die in your care. Like, your body count, Peter Dutton, is a lot more specific and a lot more directly connected with um, your actions than not being cruel to people coming on boats. But... The boats thing is really easy to fix if you, we cared about them, which is let them have visas to come by air. Oh, no. Morrison says they they are encouraged to apply to come to Australia once they are returned to Sri Lanka using the same processes as everyone else anywhere else in the world. Well, is that the one with a 30-year wait? Probably. Oh, you can do that while you're waiting, pers- while you're fleeing persecution. That's fine. You yeah, just you sort of sit just, there and... Let's send all, spend all this money to send them back to possible persecution, and then they can reapply. Why don't we just process them here? 
if you let them fly, have a visa to fly, they'd land at the airport, you could process them at the airport. Like, you could set up a, a facility right next to the airport, process them there, vastly cheaper, and determine who are the refugees. And, and also, Which is fascinating, uh, just as process. a quick aside, um, that uh, we had, there are surveys, of course, in the public service, especially if you watch Utopia, you know that they're probably pretty ridiculous. Um, but occasionally, I'm sure they do have very interesting findings. And a survey about sort of staff morale at Border Force found sort of the lowest staff oh, morale yeah. across any public service department and that most, uh, that are quite a high percentage, uh, I wouldn't say most, but a high percentage of people had been looking to relocate jobs within the next sort of 12 months or so or had looked for a job in the 12 months or so in terms of moving departments. Yeah, people who do perfectly valuable jobs in there, like stopping um, Bart Simpson from bringing frogs that are going to destroy all of our crops, that sort of thing. Mm. And then all of a sudden they're part of this sort of fascist paramilitary refugee torturing organisation, which was not part of their remit and when they got the job. there must be people there who have seen the department change names quite a few times from mm. adding in the border force moniker to the home affairs and you know it was a department that had a lot of immigration to it but now we've seen immigration and visa times just being completely stalled in yeah. terms of the processing of that so oh, yeah, I imagine that's very difficult for people and um, as you were saying you know the idea of having that visa processing thing that would require them to probably um, rethink and reprioritize what the department's doing other than what they're doing now and it, it calls a, it calls a lie to the idea that they're concerned about the people drowning at sea when um, Dutton comes out and makes it clear that what they're concerned about is boat arrivals. There'll be an increase in boat arrivals. Do you know what you can say about the boat arrivals? Nobody's drowning in a boat arrival. The boat arrival is the safe bit. They've arrived. They're safe. They're here. They're, they're here seeking refuge. It's weird. That's the thing that you really object to. Like, the whole thing is... And this is why they don't let them have visas to come by air, because the bullshit... The, the claim that they give a damn about them drowning at sea... Is irre- that's not it's a it's a it's a rhetorical device to so they can pretend that their cruelty is in some way compassionate and saving lives, which doesn't sound up to any any scrutiny. But um, it's just a device because really they don't want them getting here safely. They so yeah when they when you dig down to their claim that they've stopped the boats, they'll be like we stopped them arriving. You're like that's not the bit where they drown, dickheads. Mm-hmm. Well, someone broke up on Twitter. It was a very good comment about the Schrodinger's Island, about Christmas Island, is that if you arrived at Christmas Island, it's not part of Australia. But if they send you there, for example, in the case of the oh. family from Bilolia, I'm probably saying completely wrong, my apologies, um, Bilola, or Bilo, as people call it, it is part of Australia. They're still in Australian territory. Um, we're interested to see what, the, what happens now with the court jurisdiction. Like, presumably the, re- the reason to take them to Christmas Island is to try and argue that the court doesn't have jurisdiction there now. Like this, this whole this whole bonkers idea of parts of Australia where they the government has control, but the courts don't have oversight. That doesn't make the rule of law depends on any part of the world that the government has power. Courts having oversight over the government. Like that. How is it that we've accepted this this premise that there's parts of the world where the government can do shit and the courts like can't? A blind spot or a black hole of law. Yeah, that makes no sense. That that is not part of. That should not be allowed. That should, the, the, the fact the High Court hasn't shut that shit down is the biggest... Like, it's hard to imagine a bigger failure for a, a court than to go, oh, no, the government the government can do what it, like, it likes over there. That's not our problem. So what's... Who are they answerable to? Anyway. Mm, no, it's, a, it's a very good question. So I guess where do we leave it? Like, 
it's we're recording this on Monday, so we don't know what's going to happen in court on Wednesday. And the bottom line is that the way that the ALP and the Liberals have drafted the laws, there probably isn't a way to force the government to do the compassionate thing. And the government is standing up and saying, we're not going to do the compassionate thing, and we're hoping that, that showing you some pictures of boats will, will make you okay with that. And given Australia... That's probably true. So this family is probably completely screwed, and they're going to, and it's just Especially going to be being one over more horror. In Christmas Island. There's just not. It's not very accessible for people as they did at Melbourne Airport to just turn up and try to like stop this flight from going. They just can't. People can't afford to fly the thousands and thousands of dollars and hours that it would take to get to Christmas Island and stop them. So we're going to send a family, including two young girls born in Australia, to a country where they've where they've never lived, where they have genuine fears for their safety um and australia is apparently going to be okay with that because it's a monstrous hellhole apparently and bereft of basic humanity i think that's where it might be going uh wait this podcast is supposed to be like and what we can do about it what we can do about it what so we what we can it. do about it is today <gasps> there these have been out. people don't vote for the alb <laughs> and people have been calling if you are in an uh, a coalition-held um, electorate, um, or if you're not in a coalition-held electorate, I'm sure you could call um, your senators, your state, and you can call them and you can register your um, disgust or your um, upset at this. There are lots not, of not great the coalition. going do it, around. Do it for the Labor Party yeah. as well. If you've got a Labor, Labor member, they're the dickheads who passed the legislation that Scott left us in this in this hole. So yeah, exercise your right to democracy. Call your local member. Call your local call your state senator, I mean, as in your state for your federal, and uh, there's lots of scripts going around and talk to them about how you feel. Um, I know some of them, they're just literally writing down the messages, they won't respond, but, you know, if a lot of people are making those calls, makes things look a bit, you know, more worrisome for them, even though they say they don't care about the public mood, the public do vote them in eventually or vote them out. Yeah, and and I guess remember this remember the human beings involved next next election don't let it be you know three years in the past and we've forgotten about them because the bottom line is whether or not this particular family's been sent back and whether or not they've survived and it'd be nice if the media followed up mm. um because the media don't follow up the other people that we send back we we find out some of them well a lot of them get killed uh we don't know what's going, what's going to happen to this family it would be nice if the media kept a, a torch kept watching and kept um kept this alive mm. but yeah don't remember for the next election and don't vote for either of the two big parties that did this shit i guess <laughs> maintain the rage is my point maintain the rage and let them know you're going to be maintaining yeah. the rage don't be yeah don't buy into the news cycle always yeah uh, look back i was talking to somebody today look was back saying, in anger <laughs> Somebody was saying, we've got to, we on the left have got to, we've lost the boats thing. We've lost the TPV thing. We've lost all these things. We've just got to accept that's the way things are now. And we can't, you know, it's like the Albert Park process. Save Albert. Were you here for Save Albert Park? Does that mean anything? No, I don't know about that. In the 90s, Jeff Kennett brought the Grand Prix to Victoria. Of course he did. And they um, cut down a whole bunch of trees around Albert Park in order to make the racetrack. And the Save Albert Park protesters kept protesting for a very long time, long after the race had been going for a number of years and the trees weren't coming back. Mm. They were gone. Oh, talking of state labour, why are you being so bloody-minded about the trees for the Western Highway? What is wrong with you, you mad... You did something good last week. You got the... um, the, the birth certificate bill through. Yep. And the um, finally abolished the uh, public drunkenness laws. Yeah, so you did some good shit. 
And then for some, like, what? You've got to, like, you don't want to end up on the good scale too much. You've got to do some evil shit as well. Why yeah, are you it's doing... It's really bizarre. And it's not even level crossing related. You know, these Jabwarong trees are, it, as people said, it's like the equivalent of knocking down Notre Dame. They have such, such significant... Um, history to the traditional custodians of that area and there are alternative routes and apparently one of the alternative routes would have cost less money and it saves one or two minutes by widening it anyway yes it's a little bit of a dangerous spot i hear apparently but there's got to be other ways to do it has the paris has the the, the um the city in in paris have they considered knocking down notre dame to expand some of the roads there because there's it's paris is a bit hard to navigate maybe yeah. they should knock down that notre dame for that could it could it could cut off it could save some valuable commuter time if yeah. for the, the few people who are, are going to use a bloody car in Paris, <laughs> mad people. All right, let's deal with while we're on the subject of things that. Uh, well, so we we just had some things that pissed off Lyle Shelton, like treating trans Victorians with compassion and in a in a humane way. So how have the religious right punched back? So meanwhile, in the week or so after um, a prominent religious figure. Uh, lost his appeal and was found guilty of some heinous, uh, heinous offences. Um, although his supporters are still doubling down. Um, just astonishing how long people like Bolt and Bettina Arndt and these sorts of people are tying themselves to Pell. Longer. It is a hell of a hill to die on. It's an odd choice, and it, like I feel like I don't think that they can accept that he's done it. Mm-hmm. I don't think they are allowing themselves to consider it, which is why they're so heavy on the whole. But it was so brazen. It couldn't possibly be. It's implausible that that somebody committing such a heinous offence would do it in such a brazen fashion. Like, And then five minutes later, there's the one that, that was a former refugee that assaulted that girl at the shopping centre thing. And they're like, this was really brazen offending and we need to immediately deport this person. But like there, the brazenness of it is like, yeah, but they're bad people. They're refugees. We expect them to do bad things. because they're brown people. Hmm. Whereas Pell, they're like the brazen. It's so brazen. He could, he, no person in their right mind would like a person in their right mind would commit this horrific offence quietly. Like yes, quietly. Well, th- as, as we learned right that minds. they they um uh, at the appeal and and at the um the initial court case. Um, so for the appeal, one of the things they were trying to submit um was described by I think it might have been a journalist or someone involved as being a sort of Pac-Man style simulation, which was to, to try oh, to video illustrate how yeah. Pell could not have possibly done what he did under the conditions, and it was just ludicrous because it was just he was being chased by some ghosts, and he didn't have a power pellet. Yes, that's right. Uh, so, yeah, there were, there were three grounds of the appeal. Um, one of them was that he should have been able to say, I'm not guilty in front of the jury. I'm not sure why he didn't, but they wanted the jury to, to hear that he was innocent from his... Hear his demeanour, but they didn't want him to give evidence. Um, he could have given evidence. He decided not to. I mean, he has a right not to, but but he decided not to. But then they like, but, but the jury should have got to hear him without him giving evidence. Like... Really? Anyway, none of the three judges held that, that ground. They said that they he should have been able to they should have been able to run this stupid animation they'd come up with. Mm-hmm. None of the three judges agreed with that. And then the one the one that the final one where one of the judges dissented is the ground that there wasn't a safe conviction. And Justice Weinberg did this like two hundred page dissent, which they which yeah, is basically like three hundred even maybe. I thought three hundred total, and it was two hundred yeah, right. or something that like that. Be, yeah, but um. Where he's like, this, this is not, this is not plausible. And he linked, he tried to say he was like, this was like the judge who dissented in the Lindy Chamberlain case, except, um, 
the, there's a couple of differences. One, the Lindy Chamberlain case was it was a, that conviction was on the basis of really shonky scientific evidence. Yeah, that and was before we actually had really good types of DNA testing. Well, it's, stuff, it was it? stuff like there was rust in the car and they thought it was blood. Like yeah. it was really badly done. Bungled is a word that comes to mind. The argument in this case from Pell's defenders is that he's being found guilty on the word of one person. And then they tried to pretend like, oh, he wasn't cross-examined because he wasn't cross-examined the second time. But, mm. like, that's because there were two trials and the first one they couldn't reach a verdict mm. and the second one they found him guilty. So instead of him being cross-examined, they didn't get a free second run at cross-examining the witness, but they got the video of him giving the evidence and being cross-examined by Pell's defence. So, like, mm. he still was cross-examined. And their argument is, apparently, that if it's only one witness then you shouldn't be able to be found guilty of it, which is great news for rapists, murderers, sexual predators who commit their offences when there are no other witnesses around. Yeah. Great if you can, if basically it's carte blanche and the victim can say, no, no, I did, he, this is my evidence of what happened and it doesn't matter how believable they are. Sorry, unless somebody was there, you can't be found. The assailant's allowed to get away with it. What? Is that the new test, is it? It's, it's extraordinary. And might we add, of course, as we know, cross-examining of victims is incredibly invasive and yeah. they're having to repeat details that are incredibly traumatising, let and alone Pell's the defense. fact that people usually don't report rape ever, let alone go to the police about it, and victims of child sexual assault usually take an average of about 25 to 30 years to report it. So anyway, those are probably things to take into account there. But And notably, Pell's defence did not want the appeal judges to see the, the video of the, um, the, the evidence from the victim. They wanted, to, they, they really didn't want them seeing. And and in the end, the judges actually went and examined the the um, location. And all they did, they this is the appeal judges. Oh, as they well. did a visit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and two of them held that 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 the jury that the victim was a credible witness, and the jury were entitled to find that uh, the witness a credible witness, mm. and that the um, things that Pell's um, teams say are improbabilities, are 13 improbabilities, um, were not such that, that the jury had to accept them. Um, and then and then one of the judges didn't agree. Hmm. And so the Pell defenders things like, this is the only one that counts. And the Australians like running all these things about about how um, the, the, this this judge is, is, uh, basically gives them a path of appeal to the High Court and that this is a this is what that the sentencing judge said. They never do that about other cases. Mm-hmm. When How often do they be like, so is this the newest the test that the Australian right wants us to take for criminal trials or is it only when it, for their rich mates? Mm. But, like, for their powerful mates, they would like it that has to be unanimous. Imagine I would like a journalist to sit down and go through all the most recent high-profile convictions of serious criminals where there was a dissent... In the appeal judge, one mm. one dissenting appeal judge, and they were still found guilty. And see, according to the Australian right wing media's new test of whether somebody is guilty or not, mm. which is that it has to be unanimous, yep. or they should be, or they should go free. How many of these people who have committed serious offences should go free? I'd like to see a list of those according to the Australian's new standard if it was applied to people other than their It's a good their, challenge. It's some homework. I like it. I like it very much. And, of course, all this is in the context of which the government has now introduced this exposure draft of its Religious Freedom Bill. Yes, following that. It's odd timing. Like, yes. But, I mean, it's taken the heat off, Pell. So, oh, sorry, before we leave now, mm. which he hasn't had, like, somehow... This whole argument is still about whether or not he's guilty or not. It's oh, not even about, like, he's been found guilty. He lost his appeal. 
Now let's do some analysis of this terrible person and how it is that this happened. Yep. No, he's got away with it. Like we're not even and none also of the stuff would how, not only how it happened, but also what we're doing to prevent this in future, namely looking at how the recommendations of the um, Royal Commission into Institutional um, Child Abuse are being implemented. Maybe the Catholic Church or not. Maybe, maybe the Catholic Church should change the policy that George Pell himself devised. Maybe that shouldn't be the way that they approach maybe this now. Maybe we should look harder into uh, the regulations around the confessional seal of appeal. Which they are doing in Victoria, like, and, and thank goodness that they're pushing that back. But yeah, like, imagine the Catholic Church pushing back on that at the moment when, when it's increasingly obvious the stuff that they've been getting away with. And Look, I genuinely think that the, that people like Bolt do not, in their hearts, accept that he did it. Like, they mm. just cannot fathom it. And and they, w- I don't think they will ever accept it. Like have we will... had any comment from Howard, who was one of the characters? Yeah, no, I haven't. I don't know what Howard said in response to it, but like, but the rest of us can be like, no, this is the system. You're happy with it being applied to other people. No, you can be judged on your mates if you're gonna if you're gonna tie yourself to. You have to accept, like, insofar mm. as human beings can know, according to our system, like, he's done it. Mm. So treat him as he's done it. That's He's not Lindy Chamberlain. There's not going to be some ma- astonishing, exonerating um, physical evidence that's going to come back. Mm. This is it. Anyway. Yeah. So, yes, they've, they've, the, the coalition... Now, so after, what, not two years from the Ruddock Review, they've been tinkering with this proposed Gosh, I bill... I it's two years. Well, because... So we have marriage equality, and then we immediately... Which we have to go through uh, an expensive plebiscite there's got to be a public vote before we get marriage equality um the no side gets public money millions of what was it 50 60 million dollars to argue against marriage equality and then they get the government focusing for two years on on giving them some new powers in this bill that nobody gets to see except for the religious lobby Mm. up until the moment that that gets announced which now has been and then we get what four weeks to look at it and then it has to get voted on like that's bullshit the parliament and regardless of the, whether there were any merits in the bill, and clearly we'll talk about it in a mm. second how there are none and there's no justification for it, it's not based. They, they are yet to demonstrate anybody who um, who should be protected by this bill. And the examples they've come up with being Flau and Porteous, mm. those are not examples of people who should be protected, and we'll get to those. Yeah. Um, they but, have not come up with good case studies. Yeah, of anybody who's genuinely being discriminated for their freedom. All they've got are prominent dickheads attacking gay people mm. and they're the people that we apparently need to change our law to protect the powerful people who hate gay people anyway and it's been extraordinary because i mean as this will come into it is that prior to um yes no so prior prior to the election and prior to the very critical wentworth um by-election we had scott morrison um trying to placate supporters in or or basically people in the electorate of Wentworth who might be, again, possibly voting uh, against the coalition to say that we will actually look into these, the um, the right for religious schools and religious organisations to uh, to expel oh, sorry. LGBTI. Looking, looking to revising, to stopping that. Yeah, and that sort of got unearthed because a part it's of the Ruddock... It's always been the case. The like, Ruddock, it has always been the case, but the public didn't know about it. They scored an own goal because of the Ruddock Religious Freedom Review. Uh, some excerpt got leaked that was talking about this issue yeah. that lots of people did not know about. Because people incredible assume own you goal. can't sack somebody for yeah. being gay. Uh, you think that in 2018, 2019, you can't, but this excerpt showed that you could. And so people naturally went, 
Most what? people went, that's actually really wrong. Uh, and so Morrison went to the Wentworth by-election saying that, um, you know, we would be looking into um, maybe reviewing these laws so that LGBTI kids can't be expelled. I know that a lot of, they were saying, he was saying a lot of schools don't do this now, but, you know, let's remove that. Let's consider it. But I then, don't remember Morrison saying that. That sounds really unlike Morrison to he, actually say that. He did. I mean, not in that so many words, but he said they would look into it. Yeah. Um, and they were sort of fast-tracking it. They were kind of fast-tracking around the period of Wentworth by-election. After the Wentworth by-election, there was crickets. <laughs> so let, let's And there's basically been nothing since, except for that there was a Senate or a, I think a joint, sorry, a joint Senate um, House of Representatives Committee, and they just basically kicked it off into the long grass to the Human Rights, Human Rights Law Reform Commission. So that's currently being reviewed, that law. But this is continuing to go. The well, this is going to lock it in bill. to make it harder. So That's right. So instead of committing to that well there, there are some very clear examples that we've seen in the last since marriage equality of where the law needs to be fixed mm. um and in and i think the majority of australians state level, yeah well majority of australians i think would hold that yeah lgbti people should not be able to be sacked for being gay and in fact even worse now they can be sacked because as a result of marriage equality they if they get married they the school can then go oh you're gay right we sack you then like they have or a hospital can do it. Like, this This is mad. But instead of focusing on fixing that, which is a genuine injustice, they, there and there we can see, there are examples of people being sacked for being gay. Mm-hmm. Like, it is a real thing and has having real consequences. But so instead of that, uh, we've got Falau and Porteous. So what have we got? Porteous went around with a... With a uh, um, Promote, put out they, they put out a booklet saying that um, marriage equality was messing with kids. Mm. So basically a pretty feral insinuation that um, LGBTI people are a threat to children. Mm. Like, that's the kind of hate speech that does harm. Mm-hmm. And Israel Folau, hate speech that does harm, saying that LGBTI people are uh, bad and are going to hell. They're in the, in the same category as thieves and... Um, Liars. Yeah. And basically, he has a list of bad people, people doing bad things, and puts gay people in there, mm. which, again... now. All of this hate speech does harm. Like, we are in a country where there is homophobic violence. People who are gay are at risk of violence in their families. They're, they're, um, young LGBTI people are at risk of homelessness. Families kick them out. They get bullied at school. Um, they get... they get like, People in the communities from, like, for example, the um, the other community from which Falau comes, um, where he's worshipped as a, uh, you know, as a high... Not worshipped, literally. Like, that would be that would be evil. But, you know, like, respected. That, that sort of work... That sort of talk does real harm to the LGBTI people in those communities. And it's not and it's not just, like, the, the bullshit response to Flau of, like, oh, well, if you don't like what he says, I mean, if you don't believe in hell, like, what, what difference does it make that he does and says that you're going to hell? The difference it makes is that it tells other people that gay people should be second-class citizens and increases the general sense of contempt and, and harm towards LGBTI people who are the victims of harm in discrimination in employment, violence in the streets. Like, there are real outcomes. So... That sort of speech, look, I would say that the test should be, we have um, racial vilifications of legislation protecting people because we know what happened in the before the Second World War where the kind of rhetoric applied to Jewish people then led to the Holocaust. Mm. Like, it, it builds. Like, you, you normalise that rhetoric and then it, we know where it goes. Mm. So most Western countries have legislation protecting Jewish people from that kind of speech. Mm. The test for gay people should be the same. Yep. The, the, if you can, if you couldn't say it about a Jewish person, you shouldn't be able to say it about a gay person. Absolutely. If Flower came up there and said Jews are going to hell, 
there are hate speech laws that would be applied against him. It should never have been up to bloody rugby Australia about his employer. It nothing to, I don't think his employer should have extra powers over him. It should simply have been hate yeah, speech. and that's what's been dividing people, you know, is because people keep talking about it being a contract law dispute and that he broke his contract. But then, of course, some people also say that those people that are cheering him being, um, you know, fired over it being a contractual dispute mean that we should also, you know, be accepting of our own or other types of contractual disputes. Yeah, it's a stupid are. position for leftists yeah. to find themselves in arguing for the you know, hardline contractual interpretations and people not having rights. Like the best interpretation is he shouldn't be able to be sacked for that. Employers shouldn't have that control over your pri- over what you do outside of work. Yeah, the, it should be. And like the people who think that it's okay for it to, him to be fired for it. Okay, so Flower would do that shit now where they can't fire him again. Like if he's not working for anybody and he's putting that shit out there, is it not harmful now? Of course, it's harmful. That doesn't matter who he works for. So, just speaking about the cases that you were mentioning before, and in terms of us having far more cases of LGBT people um, being subject to harm, let alone from themselves, which can happen because of just huge amounts of just bullying and pressure in society, um, and whatever kind of pressures that occur. the chief executive of Switchboard, which is an LGBT suicide prevention service, Joe Ball, he was actually noting that as well as around the postal survey, the last few months um, where we've seen the Australian really ramp up this, you know, basically oh, the anti-trans, anti-trans stuff yeah. and they've launched this whole, you know, gender column, that there has been an increase of people contacting their services and yeah. sending them hate messages. You know, people are more increasingly suicidal because they are upset, because they are being absolutely in the front pages of nationally circulated newspapers, told that they're basically, you know, mental or crazy for, you know, being who they are, or people that work with these young people who are, you know, actually trying to find out who they are. Well, they're being told they're a threat to the kids too. Like, it's just... So let's go through the. So they've yeah. announced announced this religious discrimination bill, and you know, I, I was making remarks about like I don't see how they're going to be able to draft it in such a way without specifically saying it's just for Christians that it's going to not potentially backfire on them when people that they don't like from other religions get the same rights. Mm. Um, but so, so they've they've shoved in a bit about Falau. Um They've got a specific clause that is. Um, that employer, it's like it's really clunkily drafted. Um, so the employer, and, and we don't know how it's ultimately going to be interpreted. Uh, they've got uh, um, that employers can, if an employer has a rule that um, is imposed and has the effect of restricting or preventing an employee from uh, making a statement of belief um, other than when they're at work, it's not reasonable unless compliance with the rule by employees is necessary to avoid unjustifiable financial hardship to the employer. I mean, how do you? What, how do you test what's what's unjustifiable financial hardship? I mean, hell, maybe Rugby Australia could argue that um, there'll be boycotts about about uh, well, of their games. Like that's a weird or that advertisers might pull out, and you know that's a way that their players get revenue. Yeah, and that their teams get revenue. So I imagine that would be a way. How it's it's a strange test to pop in there. So. They can limit statements of belief if they can prove it's to avoid financial hardship, but how would they prove that? It's just weird. They also try to define out... Sta- uh, they've got the section uh, 41 in there is the statements of belief do not contri- con- constitute discrimination, and they specifically reference um, the Tasmanian Anti-Discrimination Act. Mm. Um, and their explanation in the explanatory note is that it's to um, protect people like Porteus. So what? You can say... 
any discriminatory thing you like as long mm. as you say it's for your religion. Mm. But that comes into the next interesting part of the case, that apparently this law will also protect people who are non-believers. Yeah, so a huge part, well... To an extent, it's a bit, it's a bit more to unpack. It's, well, they, they do define religion in such a way that it counts people not having a belief, but it's clearly not designed to do that. Uh, it's, it's designed to... But keep in mind how this is all pitched. Like it's, It was only the religious lobby that were getting to see the bill beforehand. Yes, and I imagine it was mostly sectors of the religious lobby. Oh, yeah, yeah. The it's, the, it's the ACL part. Um, someone points out in a really good sort of Sydney Morning Herald op-ed that it was interesting that um, this uh, draft exposure bill was launched at a synagogue and people were saying it's a bit of a sort of faith, faith-based... Um, uh, it's a bit of a fig leaf, basically. Yeah. A bit of a faith fig leaf because, again, you know, who have been the most vocal in the media and who are the politicians, what are their faith backgrounds? Well, a lot of them are Christian religions. And, it really know, needs to be one where because of the, 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 the government doesn't control the Senate and the Senate needs to say, no, stop this, we're going to actually take our time over it. You've taken your time. We're not going to let you try and rush this bloody past us. But it does seem like the legislation as it's been put up basically would give a religious school the power to say, hey, it's our religious belief that we demonise all the LGBTI kids who work here and we tell them that they're wrong and they need to stop it or they can be expelled. Like, that's our religious belief. That's our statement of belief. We're, we're, we are allowed to do that. That's, that's our religious freedom as... A, as um, while as the people who work for the school, they, they, haven't, they haven't gone so far as to extend it to religious bodies this time. Um, which is caused some anger. Like, the religious lobby don't think it goes far enough. Like, it gives them these huge powers, but they, they want more. They always want more. Yeah. Because um, we're, the- we're not Gilead yet, so they want more. That's right. Um, but Porter said it's a shield, not a sword. Yeah, it's a shield for people who already have a sword and can use it to harm people, and it's just a shield to protect them from any consequences. Mm. But, yeah, so the religious school can harm the, the gay kid, but a non-religious school can't protect the gay kid's um, from homophobia from, say, students who then turn around and say, it's our religious belief, I can, we can bully the, the LGBTI kids, it's our religious belief to harass and demean them. Yeah. So, it's a real Pandora's box, to use a terrible expression. It's just... Well, you can tell that it's a bad piece of legislation because it was specifically designed by the people who want power over the rest of us. Like, it's specifically put as a push... Like, their whole justification for it is that we got marriage equality, so they need to be able to thwart that in some way. Like, they, they need to push back. Why do you need to push back against marriage equality? Mm. We, we didn't vote for you to push back against marriage equality. That wasn't... that. Do we, When do we get our public money, when do we get our $60 million to argue against this massive expansion for religious rights mm. and powers and privileges? It's, and this might be one of the things where possibly Labor actually stand up against. Um, we have You heard, reckon? Like well, they, they were just like, oh, our problem... <laughs> Keneally's out there saying, oh, no, not Keneally, um, Tanya Plebisic was out there today saying, oh, the problem is that it intervenes with, it overrides um, state laws. And, like, it specifically does it. Like, it specifically cites that section from yeah. the Tasmanian Act. And then, what, Scummo's out there saying, no, no, it doesn't. Yeah, he says it doesn't contravene, but it, it We're not saying contravene, contravene, we're saying it overrides. overrides. And that's what's interesting. I mean, it would be good because um, we've heard reported that Anthony Albanese has told Labor that they have to get used to basically agreeing with and passing through coalition policy. Yeah, it's terrifying. But, you know, could this be, they said, the host, one of the many reasons for that is that, you know, we sort of have to pick and choose our battles. So far, I'm <laughs> When are they going to... to pick a battle? 
Could Which this bat- be the battle? God, no. I don't think this is the one that the ALP will pick. I don't try. Like, it, I, I'll be happy to be surprised, but it won't happen unless we're out there marching in the streets. Like, as we saw with the Bilola, um family, we, the ALP will not stand up there unless there is a general public uprising. If there's a public uprising against it, then the ALP will blow with the wind. Mm. Like the bottom it's line is weird that as well that there was still quite a bit of pressure on them to go to the election with a view to increase increase new start immediately, but they still did go to the election with the view that new start would be reviewed within eighteen months of them being elected. But now since then, and the pressure yeah. has increased, they've said that new start should be immediately increased, but they are in no position to do that. They could have well, they've actually said we're not even going to we're not even going to push for the inquiry anymore because we lost so so sucks to be the rest of you. You didn't vote us in. Mm. Um, yes. I I would not I do not trust the ALP to defend our rights at this point. I think the only thing is in terms of calls calls to action. I think there's going to be marches in like a fortnight. Um, we need to be. Out I believe there. there was one on on Saturday. Yeah, LGBTI people, but anyone who a religion doesn't like. Mm. We should be all so. The, one of the other effects would be um, that they would arguably be able, be able to override the um, uh, laws protecting women from being harassed at abortion clinics, mm. like Victor- and also the doctors. Yeah, doctors wouldn't be able to say they can't. Re- they don't have to refer thing, pe- patients to for um, abortions because apparently the most important thing there is the doctors' rights, not the patients' rights. Mm. And yeah, the, this could undo. So the, the the Victorian legislation protecting women at um, abortion clinics went all the way to the High Court and was upheld. Mm. But this this would be this would override it. Like that's appalling. Like women just being harassed. At <laughs> this is such a power grab, and we mm. did not vote for it. We're far from voted for it. You've concealed it until the last freaking second. That's right. It was not in the election platform. I mean, those political ju- political junkies knew that it was coming along, but it definitely wasn't in the election platform. And they only talked about it will protect religious freedom. This doesn't protect religious freedom. Uh, if if there was any concern that that people were being sacked for their religion, then sure, protect them from that. Hmm. But we're not talking about their religion. We're talking about when they are using it as a sword. We're talking about when they go and attack other people and they try to impose their religion on other people. That's what we're talking about here. Mm. And this is all about... It needs to stop being called religious freedom. Like, this is... we. They talked about... That's all they said they would do. Mm. And this is well beyond religious freedom. And it also makes me wonder... um, I'd be really interested to have a look at how this might be being covered, or if it's being covered, by international media or international activists. I doubt it because, you know, we're this little backwater country who thinks we're bigger than we are. But, you know, we are supposedly a secular country. So it would be really interesting to consider the way that this would be. They still open Parliament with the bloody Lord's Prayer. Yes, yeah. which which uh, was brought up um, by at least. Oh, there was kind of a review into it, but I don't know what happened to that. Oh, they always back down. They, oh, no, they, they, they did. Um, and the answer was that uh, they, there was, I think there was a Senate inquiry or something, and the answer was something like people didn't really care. So it was fine. Like, well, I'm sure it's not a big issue for people. But that's no reason why our parliament should start with the damn thing. Like, the only people who cared were the religious people who were, like, you know, organising a lobby to be like, it should be our... The, the yeah. nation should be praying to our God every day. Whereas, as we know, there are people in parliament of different faiths and no faith. Yeah, it's it's such a... But that's at least the you can swear yourself into parliament using whatever you want from the Quran to Milton Friedman's book 
Oh, did somebody like Tim Wilson do that? He did. Oh, of course he did. <laughs> That's freedom. That's real freedom. <laughs> so, look, fundamentally I think we need to be out there in the streets marching against this because it's this is really dangerous shit. And yeah, and as we said, it starts with LGBTI people, but the women women or people who um, have a... Who have a uterus? Have yeah, a, people with uteruses. People who, with uteruses and women are also on the front line of being affected by this bill. Basically anyone who is not a, a, a white fundamentalist male um, who a religion might want to pick up. It's people, I don't think there's enough anger at the moment because they've got away with calling it religious freedom all this way through. Mm. People are just thinking, yeah, no, you should be protected for your religion. Um, and there's, and people think that's all it is, but it isn't. So we really need to be out there shouting about how this is a massive power grab by religious fundamentalists to mm. harm people within their orbit, and and this whole thing, like they, there's so many things that they think are principles that that are un, unarguable, like the the principle that parents should get to decide um, what they teach their children about gay people, for example. So, like a homophobic parent should get to bully their LGBTI kid to try and make them straight. Mm. They think that's a right parents should have. They genuinely think that. Yeah, rather than maybe a questionable thing that might, you know, questionable evil. They shouldn't be. No, it's exactly the same as if a parent thought that they should be able to teach their kid that I don't know, black people are evil or that um, any other bigoted, hateful principle. No, you, being a parent doesn't mean you have carte blanche to keep you, teach your kid any hateful shit you like, mm. and nor should it be. Like, and it's like you said, the postal survey and marriage equality, it wasn't the end. That was basically the only thing. Ah, that was basically the only thing. Laugh Shelton was getting correct was that pushing for marriage equality wasn't the end of the gay agenda. That there are more things that people want, and those equality. things are all tied up in human rights, inequality, yeah. and they're not they're not super radical things really when you have a look at society. Oh, that's the other thing about this. It's so infuriating. Like, we do not have a Bill of Rights in Australia. Mm. We don't have... There are so many fundamental protections. Like, freedom of bloody... All the people who are advocating for freedom of speech don't give a shit about, as we talked about, like people like um, Michaela Banerjee, like public servants who want to be able to engage in public debate, even anonymously, like not connected mm. with their department. Um, they don't... Like, we could have a Bill of Rights that protected all of us mm. and that also protected religious people from being persecuted for their religion. If you are using your religion to attack other people, you're not being persecuted when there's a pushback. That is not what persecution of religion is. But I'm perfectly happy with the idea that people should be protected. But all of the people who are pushing for this shit are the people who don't believe in a Bill of Rights because they don't want us to have rights. They want to have rights over us. And the fact that they're getting away with this power grab that is so one-sided and nobody is calling them on it like, why are we giving you these powers over us? I'll think a thing, just sort of almost tying our two main topics together, that what is really interesting is that you're looking oh, another at... Another way to tie them together, Lyle Shelton was having a go at the people who are defending the Bolola people today on Twitter. Like, Lyle, Lyle is on the side saying? of... He's on the side of the government? Seriously, this is Lyle Shelton today on the Bolola thing. Compassion is a good thing, but how far should it extend? This lovely family lost all their court cases because the courts upheld laws for which... Well, he was responding to Albanese, for which Albanese voted. And, yeah, fair enough. To hell with you, Albanese, you bastard. Why should people who pay people smugglers be allowed to stay? Where's our compassion for those in camps with no money? Well, Lyle, um, why should people who pay people smugglers be allowed to stay? Because regardless of the manner by which they got here, we should, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have compassion for them as human beings. As for people in camps, of course we should be compassionate for them. No, I'm, I'm not the dickhead who linked the camps with people arriving on boats. That's John Howard. That's you, you right-winger assholes who are like, 
oh, somebody arrives on a boat, we'll take a place from somebody from a camp. That was you, dickheads. I'm not. You're the ones who are like we'll punish this other person. You're saying where's our compassion for those in camps with no money? Where is your compassion for those people? You're punishing them when somebody exactly arrives on a boat. It's exactly the camp. You question. tied those intakes. Anyway, and what's I the other one? I'd like link? to also just quickly mention that once again, welcome to the revolution, Barnaby Joyce. Yes, Barnaby what? Joyce has not only recently and Alan Jones publicly backed new start but barnaby joyce is uh back in the revolution again and he has joined alan jones in backing the below family yeah there is there's some sort of conspiracy theory stuff that's suggesting that because alan jones is under such huge pressure because he's pissed off all his advertisers with the anti adern stuff that this is a attempt to sort of whitewash his reputation a little bit like it's popular he can seem to be compassionate but it does date a little bit further back, and maybe some of that is because it's popular, but it goes beyond this most recent furor about his comments, his misogynist comments. So, And that's the thing. Barnaby Joyce and Alan Jones are some of the worst people in the country. But they're also very populist retail politicians. That's right. And they're not as evil as Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison. You know, Joyce is a retail politician. Alan Jones is a popular commercial broadcaster. You know, they're used to tapping into the public sentiment, and they're good at communicating on those ways. And they are expressing it that way. And you were talking about Dutton and Morrison sort of being, you know, more out of touch in terms of that compassion and that community sentiment. But um, anyway, tying them both together, I think another thing that's really interesting is that we're talking about, you know, the push from this coalition government for this religious freedom bill. which Discrimination. Is- They've, at least they're calling it discrimination. I'm glad that the hideously misleading that's word true. freedom is now not in their own version. I'm surprised. I don't know why. Bill. I'm not really sure why they've taken the word freedom out of that because, like, that was their cell point. But anyway, okay, exactly. they've taken it out. So for some it's reason. the religious discrimination bill is interesting because it's about protecting people with religious beliefs against discrimination. Who are some of the people and many of the people who are escaping persecution in countries and looking for refuge in places like Australia, oh, well, they might be people with religious beliefs for which they're persecuted in those countries. I think that there's such an incredible disconnect from a government that on one hand is proposing this religious, you know, discrimination bill to protect people with religious beliefs, but then also allowing people who have religious beliefs um, you know, such as who are genuinely being persecuted from them, the Tamils, yeah. to be, yeah, yeah, because fundamentally, because it's a border security issue. But all because fundamentally, this is not about protecting people for being genuinely persecuted. This is protecting people who are the persecutors, but who feel that any pushback is persecution. Like you're exactly right. If we like, so if you wanted to stop religion. Yeah, and but the way they're being discriminated against, then we would absolutely have a look at the way that we are um, uh, that we are applying that we're applying border security and try to find ways to um, fast track people who are genuine refugees who have been persecuted on the religious grounds. That to me would be a like much only, more holistic approach. Only only Australian citizens who have religious beliefs are entitled to protection. We don't care about the ones from overseas. But you're right. Like that's. Yeah, and, and that's another example of the persecutor using the language of the persecuted. Like, they are pretending that what they're talking about is like as if they were those people, when in fact all they're talking about is the rest of us saying, no, that hate speech is harmful. Stop bullying other people and causing harm to other people with your demonization of them using your power. Mm. You are powerful. You are causing harm. We think you shouldn't. 
and you're like, help, help, I'm like an actual person being oppressed for their religion. No, you're fucking not. And if you are found to be saying something that you're caught out for, which our audio example might show later, that's when usually those people in those positions of power say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry if you were found offence in what I said. Yeah, uh, but the help, help, and the sorry you found offence are the default arguments from these people. If you want to go off on a tangent, I'd, 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 I've got a real issue with the word offended and the way that like the right gets to pretend that we're like that the, the left is worried about offence. No, that's your misrepresentation of us. We're actually not on about offence. We're about you causing harm. We're about when you have hate speech. It's not that it offends our delicate sensibilities. That like we're hurt, that we we're. Uh, we're scandalized by Israel Falau saying nasty shit about gay people. Like, oh, fainting couch, pass me the, the smelling salts. It's not that at all. It's that we are aware that it causes harm. And if you can't see how, imagine he was saying it about Jewish people. Exactly. And because young, young and just LGBTI people in general, but young LGBTI people have humongous rates of mental health issues and rates of attempted or... And it's not because they believe what Israel Folau says. It's because what Israel Folau says filters through their families and communities and results in a general undercurrent of contempt and being demeaned for who you are. And that has effects, Mm. both in terms of how other people, you know, violence and, and, and discrimination against you, but also how you perceive who you are in the world. Like, it, yeah, it causes harm. So where's this shit? Like, when okay, while, while you're writing to Labor, maybe do a second. Like, like have have the CC for your local member for yeah. whoever they are. Yeah, ready have to, a writing do, party with your friends. Yeah, do do the one, do them in separate emails, but one about this is ridiculous. You need to not just protect the Bilola family, but and we'll be remembering it. But you need to stop supporting the legislation that that has this effect. The fact that those girls are not Australian citizens because after like living here, mm. being born here and living here, this is their life. The fact that they're not automatically Australian citizens is deranged, and that's wrong. And the fact that that we're deporting this family is deranged and wrong. Um, and the idea is that the minister gets to decide that things are safe in Sri Lanka based on freaking what? Anyway, mm. so, yeah, well, after you've done that, yeah, write about this legislation, and particularly if you've got a Labor member because they're the only people, if they go along with this, then we're all doomed. And don't uh, let them get to the stage where they're voting for it and saying, wait till we hear the amendments because yeah. we all know how that goes. Yeah, no, write to them and say, there isn't any reason for this. This is a power grab, but... Um, so one, vote against this power grab. There is no nothing in here that is needed. The the two examples they give Falau and Porteous are examples of people using their power to damage to harm vulnerable people. That's not a reason why they should have new legislation protecting them. The fact that Philip Ruddock recommended that there be some new powers. Philip Ruddock is the person who banned marriage equality in the first place. That is not an independent you don't have to respect that process. That's a shonky process. And in terms of what you should be doing, Protect people from hate speech like Flowers. Protect people from being sacked for being gay. That's what. That's the legislature. The the you know. If you're the ALP, you should be pushing for that. And I expect you to be pushing for that. And I'll be putting it at the bottom of the, my ballot paper if you don't. And you've got to remember that Morrison did at one stage when it was politically um, expedient for him to say um, mentioned that they were going to review laws that were allowing places to discriminate against. I wouldn't. LGBTI I wouldn't put it on the basis of children and students. Well, I suppose if you're writing to a Liberal member, maybe. But I wouldn't be I wouldn't be putting that to the ALP. No. Right? The ALP needs to stop justifying things based on what the Liberals do. Yes. I would be I would be saying to the ALP, um, you say that you support LGBTI Australians and that's in your platform. Mm. So when are you going to protect them from hate speech? When are you going to protect them from being sacked for being gay? Absolutely. Where's that? How's that? How, how are you even considering this power grab? Where Where's the sixty million dollars for our no side to to campaign against this bullshit? Yeah. 
How is that fair? Whereas there's no fairness to it. That's yeah. it. And you know, you talk about everyone talks about the fair go, but there's no fairness to it. We need to be out there and protesting because if we don't, it's, this shit is going to slide through, and it's going to slide through on dishonest rhetoric like the. It's about. It's only about you know protecting religious people from not being sacked for their religion. No, no, it isn't. And I suppose just before we go, because I've referenced it a couple of times, obviously we had the Pacific Island Forum. Um, and I, I, it's appalling that we are getting to this point of the podcast and we are not mentioning any of the war on the poor shit. We're not even mentioning the fact that Scott Morrison is sending our sailors to, like, potentially have a, a war with Iran. Like, that's just snuck through. Like, what are the rules of engagement of ours? And it's fascinating that he talks about... He in almost in well, it's not in the same breath, but he'll talk about justifying sending him to the Strait of Hormuz, but won't support putting out the fires in the Amazon. Yeah, no, it's just it's, and I understand the calculus of like we've got to keep Trump happy apparently because otherwise we have no defense strategy. But like there are other countries that are that rely on you know the US protection that are not sending their troops to this ridiculous excursion like we don't have to do this yes it's very interesting what we choose to intervene on um so yeah we're just skipping over somehow that potentially being at war with iran but anyway no i'm going to play you um so after the pacific island forum where where morrison basically told the pacific islands to get stuffed um and uh in fact which was really really well received it was really well received really well received um tears and people saying that morrison's basically the worst to deal with on these things and oh yeah really good and then maurice payne our foreign affairs minister just described these tears and and people saying that we're terrible to deal with on climate change as robust discussions which is cool oh it's really positive we we really are and we saw from the the if you actually the four corners thing they finally talked about bernard cory and witness k and what we were doing to east timor with with that and like that's the kind of country we are and we need to stop being that country like anyway it's terrible when you realize that you know how you grow up thinking that when you go traveling around the world people like australians Mm. they like us and you're like oh but they're not going to like us now because we've been like absolute assholes for the last 20 or 30 years and then the bit where you realize oh hang on actually we White Australians always were assholes. Yeah. We just didn't believe. We just refused to see it about ourselves. Exactly. Yeah, no, we were just too privileged. And there are people who are in these detention camps offshore Australia, and some of them have said, "I don't even want to come to Australia." Almost now. all of them have said would, that now. I want to come here to this place. Yeah. That is they want to go to New Zealand. Here. We're stopping so basically, them. Basically, um, uh, Abdul Aziz, who's now over in Switzerland, he basically got his refugee status to Switzerland almost as a refugee away from Australia. Yeah. No, we're monsters. We're this, and I, I resent that. I don't want our country to be monsters. I would like us to stop being monsters. Whenever they're like, oh, black armband view of history. You're, no, it's, it's because we actually think Australia should do better. Anyway, mm, yes. I'm going off on tangent. Um, just in case you thought that, that would be any better with the ALP, here's Penny Wong endorsing coal. And they were asking for action on coal. Now, coal is an important industry for Australia. So you wouldn't it's have signed import- up to shutting it down either? Oh, of course not. I mean, we, 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 coal remains a, an important industry for Australia and it remains part of the global energy mix. Thanks, Penny. Thanks. That's, that's very helpful. It's always good when you're getting praised by uh, some of the people who frequent Sky News a lot. Oh, and, and your comments, if you're a Labor person. What's, what's Queensland Labor doing there? Like criminalising the protests against Dadani and also uh, extinguishing native cattle. So I think as you see that I think somebody tweeted and and, and it's like Adani to Labor like, hey, what's up? And Labor's like just busy um, criminalising protests, and Adani's like, would you like to come and do some colonising as well? Like, yeah. Um, so. Great classic country. The final, final, final thing I'm going to play is this response. This, Mike, this is Michael McCormack, the Deputy Prime Minister, um, explaining why. Who I believe was acting Prime 
this throughout the time because Scott Morrison was over at the Pacific Leaders Forum, which makes it even more fun. Yes. It's man true. who was an editor of the Wagga Daily Advertiser wrote that that you know gay oh god what I've, I've actually blocked out the specifics about basically it was homophobic oh the it was more it was more than generally homophobic it was like gay people are you know, vectors of disease and they're coming to you know, like it was feral shit like it was the nineties and they were like we didn't know any better in the nineties yes we fucking did anyway that guy that guy this guy this is the guy responding to what went on in in uh, the Pacific Forum. Check, check out his reassuring words for the Pacific nations that, that may be going under. I also uh, get a little bit annoyed uh, when we have uh, people uh, in those sorts of countries who point the finger at Australia and say we should be shutting down all our resources sector uh, so that, uh, so that um, you know, they can uh, continue to survive. They will continue to survive. There's no question they will continue to survive and they'll continue to survive uh, with, a, with large aid assistance from Australia. They'll continue to survive because uh, many of their workers come here and pick our fruit. Pick our fruit grown with uh, hard uh, Australian enterprise and endeavour uh, and we welcome them. We always will. Ah, yes, all the Pacific Island nation of people, they will survive because they will come here to pick our fruit. Yeah, that, that's... So, it's, it's it's why are they complaining? The lapping at the doors comment. The famous lapping at the doors. I, I also love his whole, like... That they all can come here and pick our, our fruit grown with like what was that? fruit grown with uh, hard uh, Australian enterprise and endeavour. He just said that we're not doing the work; they're doing the work. It's just every part of that like beggars belief. Yeah. But yes, I do love the idea. Yeah, their nations will disappear beneath the waves, but they can pick our fruit. <laughs> what? Look, there's a silver lining. Yeah, and, and you and you try and explain that to the Pacific Island leaders, and they can't see the positives. No. Just that's the sort of people we're dealing with. Because, again, you know, there's so many layers to it and we don't even have the time to unpack it. But one of those many, many layers is also just this continuing um, belief and action in the rhetoric of these, you know, white Australian leaders of basically believing that land is not important to people. Land is not important to traditional custodians. And it's, it's, by the way, it's if you tried to trespass on their homes, they, they'd call the, they would think it was very important. It's, again, another colonising thing that these people can just pack up and relocate. But, you know, there are people, Pacific and Pacific Islander people, just like uh, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people there, who have connection to country that white people cannot even begin to understand. And, you know, if we went and hung out with them, maybe we'd hear a bit more about it. But it's like you, you are not only destroying people's livelihoods, their agriculture, their... Hang on, they can always still pick the fruit. Like, there's still other livelihoods. Don't worry about the history or their culture or their traditions or their stories. I also like the idea that Australia would be in any way compassionate to people, refugees fleeing these countries. (laughs) Because, like, that's our history. We've clearly demonstrated that. What? I just... How... What a... I'm... I'm kind of left speechless, actually. I just... But as we said, you know, write those letters, make those calls... Uh, there is oh, the go to the protest. We need to be. We need to be right. visible. Like all that marriage equality protesting, which we had to do for like what twenty years. I did not like. I like. I really wanted to have a sign that was like, "I resent still having to be here arguing for this." Oh yeah, people do this at women's protests. It's like I can't believe I'm still processing this shit. Are these like rusted on? You know, second generation feminists going, why am I still protesting this shit? It's the same thing with this climate. You know, we've got another climate strike coming up on the 20th of September and it's all going to be all around the world and these climate strikes have been led by children who are 
you know, that's going to be their... They're not tired of the protest yet. They haven't... Like, they're not they've... tired of the protest yet. And they are the people who will be alive when the shit really hits the fan. And, you know, people like Michael McCormack will be well on the way to his grave, probably, at that when the things get really, really bad. But these children, they know the things about. But anyway, go out there, join the protests, 20th, look for your local chapter of things like Extinction Rebellion or whatever things you want to get involved with. Get along to the protests. Also the Just bring a sign. The fight against America, I think the fight against the religious um, powers stuff is uh, Saturday week. So I think it's mm. like the, um, anyway, it's not not the coming Saturday after this one. I think it's the Saturday after that, and yeah. they'll be right. But keep your eyes open for that. Right. Hopefully we'll hopefully we'll actually get a podcast out between now and then because I hopefully won't lose my voice again. Um, <laughs> and you'll have your voice for the protests. Oh god, and then I'll lose it again. Yes. Damn you, protests! I resent having to protest. I resent having to go out there. But if you don't, they just steamroll over us and even if you're an introvert as i say you know i remember one of my favorite signs is it's so bad even the introverts are here so you know you can always come in and just hold a sign just be there be present be counted all right i think we'll leave it there eliza thank you for coming on the podcast it has been lovely having you on an absolute pleasure uh and maintain the rage and the enthusiasm we have to sadly <laughs> like I, I mean imagine if we didn't have to and we could stop doing a podcast about this we could do a podcast about board games or something like that'd be lovely but no we have to keep maintaining the rage because this shit keeps happening and if we don't fight back it gets worse where where can people find you on the on the toots on the yeah you can find me on twitter at verbalizer which is v-e-r-b as in the verb and all one word a-l-i-z-a means to articulate everything I'm thinking, which I do a little bit of on things like a podcast. Uh, any things you want to plug? Uh, there'll be a Patreon launching soon. I've gone full freelance. So if you like what I'm saying or you like to hear a bit more, I also do drawings and I write lots of things. So, uh, yeah, you can check some of that on my tweets. And, uh, yeah, you can subscribe to my Patreon when that gets launched, hopefully before this next podcast. Uh, talking of, thank you to our Patreon subscribers for keeping for supporting us uh, and keeping the podcast going. Uh, in fact, if you aren't supporting us at the moment and would like to, uh, and you would like to um, chip in, it would be kind of helpful. I think I need to. Uh, you may have noticed that my my head is going in. There's a little bit in and out of, of getting to the microphone. I need another mic stand, and actually a new new mic sock would be useful too. So there's some some equipment type things we need to do, and also some um, the web hosting stuff's coming up. And so there's a number of costs to do with keeping the podcast going. So it's very helpful. Thank you everybody for keeping on supporting us, even when we disappeared for a fortnight because of not having a throat. I mean, I had a throat, it just was <laughs> not useful in a podcast way. Um, thank you to everybody who's left us a positive review on iTunes, and thank you otherwise for coming back, and we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye.